Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. This is the issue. This is the huge point that we're missing. We're externalizing a very internal issue. It's not about the food. It's about the fact that we are seeking self-love. We're seeking acceptance. We're seeking connection with ourselves. And the weight loss industry is simply putting band-aids on bullet wounds, convincing us that we're not good enough, strong enough, pretty enough, whatever enough, and selling us this shit that does not work, or perhaps it temporarily works for a few weeks until we get off of it, and then we gain all the weight back plus more because at a fundamental cellular level, we're not actually dealing with the issue at hand. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Samantha, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. It is such a pleasure. I'm so excited for this conversation. So, you know, I actually came across your story because you and I met uh, at an event, uh, which was put on by our, one of our former guests who everybody loved, uh, Philip McKernan. And when you wrote in and told me a little bit about your story, I was very intrigued. Uh, so uh, rather than me, give it away for our listeners. Uh, I want to start differently than I have in the past. Uh, instead of starting with your story and your background, I want to ask you about what you think was one of the most influential experiences or advice, piece of, pieces of advice that you got from somebody while you were growing up that ended up shaping who you've become and what you've done with your work today? Oh, man, that's such a good question. Thanks for starting with that. My The best piece of advice actually came from my dad, and he kept saying, just feel the fear and just move through it. Get through it anyways. And I feel like a lot of people ask me, how are you fearless or, or what, how can you be fearless? And that's just a concept I don't understand. I feel fear every single day, every single day. And I just, I, I learn from it. I, I use it in my life. So yeah, that came from my dad. He drilled that into me at family dinners every single night. <laughs> mm. Mm. Why do you think that we have such a, a sort of aversion to fear? Uh, when we know that usually what's on the other side of it is something good. Fear is this interesting thing. And if we can develop a different relationship with it, we can actually use it as a catalyst for growth. You know, fear is just trying to keep us safe. It's just trying to keep us safe. And it doesn't, it cannot differentiate between expansion and growth and you're in trouble here. And so the the feeling that we feel in our body when we're trying to grow and expand is the same feeling we're feeling when we're in danger. So that retracts us as humans, and we feel that same feeling. So it's just about naming and disengaging from the fear, really naming it and say, hey, I know what you're doing here. You're trying to keep me safe, but we're not playing this game right now. We don't, we don't, I don't really need you at the moment. So let's 
go, you can go in the, in the back seat and I'm just going to drive this because I appreciate you and I love you because in many situations, I definitely need you when I'm in danger. But right now I'm expanding and I'm growing and I've got this. I can handle this. And so it's really about naming and disengaging. Do you think that everybody has the ability to do that naturally or do you think it's something that has to be learned and developed? Oh, absolutely not. It has to be learned and developed for sure. It's something that I was consumed by fear when I was younger. I didn't know, you know, my head from my ass when it came to feeling fearful. And it kept me small. What I really had to do is really lean into it and learn from it. Learn from the pain. Learn from the fear. Is this trying to keep me small and is it defending me? Or what's, what's the role the fear is playing here? And it's a conversation that I have to have all the time, every single day. If I'm about to do something in my business or my relationship or anything, and I'm feeling that sensation, that feeling, that state of fear, I just simply ask myself, okay, am I safe? Can I really ask this fear to step to the side so I can really pursue and grow? Or do I need to be mindful of it? And it, it's game time decisions and that game time conversation when you're feeling fearful rather than suppressing and ignoring and, and pretending it's not there, lean into it, have a conversation with it, get to know it, get to know your fear. When we, when we, when we don't identify with it and we don't amalgamate the, the emotions, we can really look at it clearly and figure out what is the role that it's truly trying to play. So I know that you grew up as a dancer. Mm-hmm. Um, how did the things that you do, uh, or you've learned from being a dancer, inform your perspective on fear, and more importantly, uh, inform your perspective and shape the work that you've ended up doing. Mm, really which great. I realize we can spend probably a half hour talking about that, which yeah. I just love to do. <laughs> yeah. So let's start with the first question. I was a dancer. I danced Monday to Friday, three till nine. It was my, it was my, it was my world. You know, I was so consumed with it. I, I was able to develop the discipline to just train, which then just became habitual and it was just innate within me, that that sense of you're going to work hard and you're going to achieve. You're going to work hard and you're going to achieve. And I'm so grateful for that because I use it every day of my life. You know, How can I create little disciplines in my life that eventually become habits that I don't even have to think about? That That's a beautiful thing. And I'm so... I'm blessed that I was given the opportunity to um, really ingrain that at, at a young age. So that being said, being a dancer as well comes with a lot of, you know, there's a lot of pressure that comes in with it. I was in front of a mirror for hours and hours on end, looking at my body, you know, looking at the parts of myself that I wanted to change. You know, you had teachers that also were like, mm, Maybe you should do this or this. And there's a lot of pressure. Um, so I was constantly in front of a mirror on a stage being watched. And that feeling, when I stopped dancing, I realized, goodness, I'm not going, I'm not training as much as I need to be training. And immediately, like clockwork, I developed body image issues because I was so worried about eating too many calories and and gaining weight because I'm not attached to this really strict exercise regime. So it was 18 when I really developed a dysfunctional relationship with food. Growing up, I had body image issues, but it really kick-started when I was 18. So not only did I have the body image issues, I then developed 
a dysfunctional relationship with food because I was constantly on a mission to manipulate my body. So it was very transactional. I was up in my head, constantly counting calories and using exercise for punishment rather than enjoyment and movement. Mm. Mm. How do you resolve this tension between having body image issues and all the constant messages that we're bombarded with from the world around us. I mean, you mentioned calories and, you know, counting calories and you have every app on the planet that allows you to track Mm -hmm. your steps. You have Fitbits. And then of course you have the magazines and everybody's beautifully curated Facebook feeds where everybody looks perfect. So, um, how do you resolve the tension between these kinds of issues and what you're experiencing in the world around you? I don't think it's a conversation of what can we resolve. It's truly a conversation of shutting down the world so we can hear ourselves. And not only is that a confronting thing to do, it's painful and it takes work. So for so many people, it's just so much easier to look for the next big thing, look for that miracle pill, follow this blog, follow this diet, really follow what these gurus or people are telling us to do. And the thing is, those people don't know our bodies. We know our bodies. There is so much wisdom. There is so much intelligence that comes from within. But we are so consumed with consuming, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. that we're, we're just so reliant and dependent on all of the noise. And we're scared that if we shut down that noise, that we're going to fall behind. But when we shut down that noise, we actually have access to our intuition, to our guidance. And this is the thing. When we were in... The cave, we relied on our intuition for survival. And today we just simply pretend that we don't even have an intuition, which is a really sad thing. So we're really denying ourselves a massive opportunity to be divinely guided from within because we are so busy trying to find the next big thing that that the weight loss industry is telling us to jump on in order to change our lives and be happy. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, to me, what you're talking about applies to a lot more than just the weight loss industry. Oh, Um, 100%. Yeah. I, I think really you're talking about living a creative life at large. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I look at this from the, the standpoint of being a writer and, you know, you mentioned how much we consume and I realized that for many people and myself included at moments, uh, the balance between how much we consume and how much we create is completely out of whack. Oh gosh. Yes. And you're right. I mean, we, we think that, you know, the next blog post, the next article, the next podcast, whatever is going to solve all these problems for us. And we're going to suddenly be like prolific, productive and creative. Mm-hmm. And what I found, um, there, there are two things I have figured out about myself uh, in this process of, of having a public persona online. I noticed that when I spend a lot of time on the internet, my natural tendency to compare uh, mm-hmm. is fueled. Like I go into a comparison mode and everybody seems like they're up to something far more epic than I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, and shutting down the noise puts me back into a normal space of not paying attention to what is happening in the world around me, trusting intuition and creating a lot more. Absolutely. Absolutely. Comparison kills. Comparison kills. It's such a killer. And comparison, we're just lacking compassion. We're not truly looking at, okay, right. Look at my life right now. What, it, what can I be absolutely undeniably compassionate about right now? When we are in that state of comparing, we're in a state of scarcity. We're in a state of not enoughness. We're in a state of what am I missing? Why do they have it better than I do? And what we focus on expands. So if we're constantly looking outside ourselves, comparing ourselves, 
that's going to expand. That energy is going to expand. We're going to just simply feel more inadequate. Whereas when we start just to notice one thing about ourselves that we're truly compassionate about and we, we feel so much gratitude towards, that's going to slowly expand. So it's about how can we really inspire this message of looking within rather than externally. So I have one other question about your time as a dancer and then I want to mm-hmm. spend more time talking about the uh, relationship with food and body image issues. Yeah. Um, how... What are the lessons in creativity uh, at art and, and you know, creative disciplines that you've brought from your time as a dancer to the work that you do today uh, and the way you've lived your life? Mm, that's a great question. Everything is possible and malleable. As a dancer, I could create anything with my body. You know, I could create anything. I could create any movements. I could evoke any emotion. I could truly tell a story. I was a storyteller. As a storyteller on stage, I embodied that emotion that I wanted to then have other people feel. And so taking that concept from when I was younger, being on a stage and really sharing my truth with an audience for them to have some sort of transformation while watching me, I just use that in my body of work today. I truly need to become the, the, the leader and the, the vision of what people are, want, are wanting. And really focusing on the people. I, I say being ruthlessly committed to people's pains and then showing them, showing them the way out. And that's just about your beingness. I just, I've become that. I'm in the process of becoming that more and more every single day and deepening that connection to my body and to food every single day and just inspiring my community. That's what it's all about. So I've just completely transformed that from the dance world into what I do now, which is, it feels so comfortable for me. You know, I'm, I'm a natural, I'm a natural performer and I'm a natural leader and just taking that concept of, evoking emotion and transferring it into hungry for happiness has been a really beautiful thing. So I was a musician in uh, high school and mm-hmm. you know, when I hear you talk about that, it makes me think that there's an element of performance in every single thing that we do or an opportunity to bring an element of performance mm-hmm. to everything that we do in order to create experiences that people can't help but talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm wondering how people mind their own experiences of their own lives to bring that element of performance to their work. Say, say that one more time to the last bit. So how do people mind the experiences or look at the experiences of their own life to bring that element of performance into their work? Mm, it's about being, say when we say performance, it's about performing with authenticity, mm-hmm. really connecting into, into your heart and into your soul and into your body. And like what feels good, what feels good for you is going to inspire the world. And so, you know, when you're uh, being a musician and you're on stage and you're feeling that really good feeling of like, oh, in total flow. Yeah. And so me as a dancer, it's like when I'm dancing and I know I'm hitting these moves and it feels really good, I connect into that feeling because when I am in that energy, in that flow, that's where I create most. So in order for me to be most effective in the creation process with my, with Hungry for Happiness, I need to first achieve that feeling of high vibing flow for my work to be transmuted out of me. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk, um, 
in more detail uh, yeah. about turning 18, body image issues in your relationship with the food. I, I'd like to hear about the entire journey and you know, yeah. kind of finding your way out of it right. and how okay. that has led to Hungry for Happiness. Mm-hmm. So 18 hit and I panicked. I went into a complete state of panic. I moved to Australia right away because that's just what you do when you're 18. You want to go explore the world. And I realized, wow, here I am in this different country, not dancing. I became obsessed with every single calorie that passed through my mouth. I was scared of food. I measured everything. I analyzed everything. I wrote everything down. I was, I said no to social engagements because I didn't want to be in the presence of food and have to say no. It was, it was a really, really heavy thing. I actually ended up being in the hospital in Australia because I was unwell. And I didn't quite understand what was going on, but this perpetuated for a couple of years. So after I, after Australia, I came home for a little while and then I fell in love with a British person and moved to England. So I was living in England and at the time I had a fitness company similar to fitness on the go. We went to our clients houses and their offices and that kind of thing. And we would train them in their, in their own space. And as I was pretending to be a beacon of light and love and health, behind the scenes, I was in the biggest battle with food in my body. Every single, every single week, every single Monday, because that's just when we start diets for some, for some reason, I would start, start something new. Um, some restrictive diet, you know, had a list of can have, can't have foods. I would go to the grocery store. I would be like, okay, yes, this week I can have this, 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 and this, and I cannot have this, this, and this. And I would just dive right in until about Thursday when my body just could not handle it and it just took over and then I would just binge on all the foods that I felt deprived from for three days straight. Then I would repeat the cycle and every Sunday night I remember sitting on my couch with a cup of Earl Grey tea, looking at Instagram, looking at Facebook, looking for the next thing. So I did every single diet you possibly know and I had... I don't know if you've seen it on Instagram, but there's this these tea companies that promise weight loss. And so you drink this tea and then it just basically makes you crap yourself so you lose more weight. And I was in such a state of obsession with my body and I was so unhappy. I was completely disconnected, head and heart, mind and body. I pretended that I really didn't have a body. I was just abusing it and wanting to constantly change it. So... I remember it was a again another Sunday night and I'm looking looking on Instagram trying to find another diet and I got this visceral sick feeling in my stomach it was it was I could almost throw up I'm like oh god what is that and I like kept scrolling and my body was persistent it was this feeling was not not going away so I just remember tossing my phone to the side and just sitting with it and just feeling into it And it was almost like my body was being like, you need to stop this because you're ruining your business, your relationships, your friendships. Everything is taking a hit because you are not being very nice to your body. You are living this life of like, I'm not being authentic with my work. Um, Something needs to change. There's something that needs to give right now. And I didn't know what that was. So 
I remember just leaving my flat, as you call it in England, and just walking the streets of London and just wondering what I was doing. How did I manage to get myself in this space? And I truly wondered if it was possible to get out. I was so wrapped up in, wrapped up in the in the practice of hating myself. And so I walked the streets looking for answers for about two hours, didn't really find much of anything. I came back to my to my flat and checked the mail, grabbed the mail, went back upstairs, and I got this brown letter. And you know, when you get a brown letter, it's never anything fun. You know, you get a white letter, you're like, oh, it might be from grandma. But those brown letters is always, something's up. So I opened the letter and... I realized that I was getting deported and the answer came like instantaneous. I'm like, I need a change. And then I get this letter. It was like a divine, divine timing at its finest. So I'd overstayed my visa living in England. So I had 30 days to pack up everything, sell my company and move back to Vancouver. So I remember thinking to myself, this is the time. This is, I need to stop doing this. I need to stop this fight. So I dedicated the next three years of my life just to strengthening the relationship I had to food in my body. So when all my friends were out, you know, at the nightclubs, drinking, picking up boys, I was like crying and journaling in my apartment, trying to figure out what was wrong with me. How did I get into the cycle and how am I going to get myself out? So every day I would work on it. Like it was my job. It was, I, I had to. And every day I would find something else. I would uncover something else. <clears throat> and I was on this trajectory of growth every single day, just really learning to respect myself, to love myself, really figuring out the emotional void that was happening. You know, what, what was I actually hungry for? And after three years of just intense inner work, and exploration and growth, I realized that this is my purpose. This is my calling. I need to share this information with the world. There's 70 million people that struggle with with food in their bodies and particularly binge eating. And I need to lead that movement. So that calling kept getting stronger and stronger and stronger, and I kept following it, leading into it, full of fear. It scared the hell out of me, knowing that I was going to step into the next, this next phase, knowing where I, where I was, and it was truly terrifying, but equally exciting. So I launched Hungry for Happiness October 2014, and it's truly been a dream. It's been a dream. It's, <clears throat> it's a huge mission, a huge movement. I have massive, massive goals for it. And I want to touch millions of people. Um, and I'm getting closer and closer every single day. And that is truly fulfilling. So yeah. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. 
What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. So that raises several questions, as you might imagine. Uh, <laughs> the first is why you think that the entire health and diet industry is the way it is and why we're so obsessive about it. I mean, I can tell you the number of times that I look across people's blogs, oh, like I should go on the paleo diet or I should do this. Mm. And half the time I'm like, wow, how many foods that I enjoy eating am I denying myself of? And I'm, I'm not overweight. Like I don't have issues with the food, but I'll tell you mm -hmm. like every time I read one of the things that makes me think about it. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm curious why you think the entire sort of cultural narrative around diets and food is the way it is. This is the issue. This is the huge point that we're missing. We're externalizing a very internal issue. It's not about the food. 
It's about the fact that we are seeking self-love. We're seeking acceptance. We're seeking connection with ourselves. And the weight loss industry is simply putting band-aids on bullet wounds, convincing us that we're not good enough, strong enough, pretty enough, whatever enough, and selling us this shit that does not work or perhaps it temporarily works for a few weeks until we get off of it and then we gain all the way back plus more because at a fundamental cellular level, we're not actually dealing with the issue at hand. That's the problem. That's the issue. Mm-hmm. Mm. So it sounds to me like one of the things that you've managed to do is navigate uh, an incredibly dark chapter in your life mm-hmm. and come out of the other side of it. Mm-hmm. And this is something I've asked a lot of people in, in some form or another, which you know, since you've listened to the show, um, how do you get out of something like that? Like how do other people get out of moments like that in their lives based on the experience that you've had? Mm, a huge thing for me and a huge turning point in my recovery was learning to change my relationship to pain. And we touched on this slightly at the beginning of this conversation, but pain was my divine teacher. Pain was what I really used to grow and expand and get out of it. And the problem was I was so scared of it for so long because there was so much of it. And I really needed to feel my way out of the fight I had with food in my body. We can't think our way out of these things, you know, and so often we think we can a lot of the, the women and men that I deal with are extremely intelligent, type A perfectionists, and they think they can truly think their way out of it. We, tr- we need to feel our way out of these things. And feeling our way out of it requires us to be in our bodies, work through those layers of pain that we're dealing with that have been suppressed for so long to get to a place where we really can communicate with our intuition and allow it to guide us. And that's confronting and it's Scary as hell, especially when we are so conditioned to run away from pain constantly. Numb it, suppress it, get rid of it, push it, push it away. Don't listen to it. I encourage everybody to just lean into it. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. It's your body's way of communicating. Hey, something's not quite right right now. I want to make it right for you. I'm here to show that I'm here to explain what's wrong and what's going on and how we can pivot, recalibrate and get on the right track. If we deny ourselves that and we do not have that conversation with ourselves, we're denying ourselves growth. We're denying ourselves expansion and we are designed for growth and expansion. So, yeah. Reminds me of something Philip uh, said at the event that I met you at when he said, Mm -hmm. often we look for intellectual answers to emotional questions and there aren't any. Oh, yes. That's why I love that man so much. (laughs) (laughs) That and many other reasons. That and many, many other reasons. Yeah, the man is just full of poetic nuggets. Like you can listen to him talk all day. Mm -hmm. So one of the the questions that I I have wrestled with and I've been asking people, and this is something that is fresh on my mind because it's um, something I had to write about in my upcoming book, um, is about resilience. And part of me is beginning to wonder whether resilience is something that can only be developed by going through pain. Uh, and you know, based on your experience, is that true? And if not, I mean, what are the other ways in which people can develop resilience in their lives? That's a great question. So I, I have an interesting relationship with resilience and I'll tell you why, because I was for so much of my life, I was being resilient to the wrong things coming from a place of, force. 
So I really had to check in not only my motivation, but my body and how I felt going through that and, and pushing through. Does that make sense? Yeah. So today, I, my relationship to resilience comes from a very intuitive place. I have to constantly question, get curious, and ask myself, am I being resilient for the right reasons? Am I pushing towards something and being powerful, and does it feel good to my body while I'm doing this? And I think when we get in that place of, of knowing why we're doing things and how we feel as we're going through it, resilience becomes almost easy. Whereas if we're on the wrong track and we are not aligned with what we're supposed to do, it's sticky and it feels forceful and it doesn't feel good. So I'm resilient as hell when I am doing something that is truly aligned with my mission, my values, and who I am and how I want to show up. That's my relationship to resilience. That's an interesting one. Mm. Mm. You know, I realize throughout our entire conversation, there's been this theme that has been running, and I've been wondering what it was, and now I finally realize it seems like everything that you do is centered around this idea of listening to your body. Mm. Oh, my God. I had to do that when I was recovering. And it's interesting because, you know, your message is within your mess. I don't know who said that. It wasn't me, but I love that. And when I was coming out of my battle with food, I had to finally actually listen to my intuition, listen to my hunger cues, really feel it out. And it allowed me to develop a skill that I'd never developed before. And that's just truly being intuitive, really tuning in and listening for that definite yes in my body and that definite no in my body. And those feelings are incredibly useful and I use them every single day in everything. Let's talk about food. Yeah. I don't, I never follow a diet. Never. I wake up in the morning and I tune into my body. What do I really want right now? Is it a green smoothie? Is it something warm and comforting like a nice bowl of oatmeal with goji berries and coconut milk? Is it eggs, poached eggs, whatever it is, I really take time respect the decision that my body is making because I trust it's for a higher good. It's, I trust that there's a reason why my body is guiding me in that, in that direction. And I've had to really learn, is it a yes in my body or is it a no? So that concept I use in my business every single day. I use with relationships. I'm guided by my body because it's way smarter than me. It's way more intelligent and then my mind checks in once in a while to make sure we're all good. Whereas th- it's never been this way. This is a very, this is a very in the last couple of years, recent thing. How I operated on this planet before is all with my mind. You know, in our society, logic is valued over intuition 10 times over. Mm-hmm. And it drove me into the ground and it drives people into the ground constantly because they do not have that innate trust within themselves to just be guided by something bigger than themselves, which is their body or bigger than their, their minds, I should say, which is their body. So every single day, I'm on a constant quest to figure out how can I trust my body just a little bit more today to guide me? What can I do just a little bit more? Yesterday I was driving and I was, it's something as simple as this, but I was driving and I'm like, okay, do I want to go to the Safeway or do I, do I want to go to the Save-On? And my mind was like, go to Safeway. 
But then I tuned into my body and it was like, go to Savon. And I didn't know why that was the case. It was truly fascinating. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go to Savon, even though it was much further away. So I go to Savon and I go there and I meet someone that I hadn't seen in 10 years. And we had this incredible conversation. And I can only, I can only chalk that up to the fact that that's my guidance. That's my body telling me, you know, let's pivot. Let's go this way. And I do this in my business constantly and it serves me so, so well. So that raises one last question, which is this, how do other people learn to listen to their bodies and how do you develop that capacity? Okay. Can we do something right now on the call? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I want you to think of a question that you have. That's a definite yes. So is my name Samantha? Is my hair brown? Is it sunny outside? So think of something that's a definite yes. And I just want you to close your eyes and ask the question. Ask the question a few times to your body. Really allow your thoughts just to dissipate, channeling all of your energy into your body, softening your heart, and really feeling grounded within your body. If you need to take a few breaths to get there, then do that, a few grounding breaths. And when you're there, just ask the question. Repeat the question. That's a definite yes. And just take three breaths. Just open your eyes and just feel what that felt like. For me personally, it's, it's a lightness. It's a lift. What did you feel? I'd agree with that. Okay. There's no, when, it, when it's a definite yes, there's no tension at all. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So now let's go think of a question. That's a definite no. Absolutely not. Is my name Susan? Is it raining right now? Am I drinking coffee? Definite no. Could be anything. So just close your eyes. Take three grounding breaths. Get into your body. Channel the energy into your heart, into your gut. Just really get grounded. Feel the tingles in your fingers and your toes, the aliveness, the beating of your heart. Just really get down there. And just repeat the question. That's a definite no. Notice the sensations. Notice what you're feeling with that definite no question. Just take three final breaths, really feeling into that feeling of a no. In through the nose. Out through the mouth. In through the nose, out through the mouth. Just slowly blinking your eyes open. What'd you feel that time? I think before we even started, immediately it was tense. Mm-hmm. Before mm-hmm. you even said close my eyes, I could tell. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that's the, where we start. That's the starting point. We need to differentiate 
what's a yes and what's a no viscerally in our bodies. Now, when we truly develop and differentiate that feeling, we can then use it for, for questions that are not a definite yes and no, and we can feel into it. But it starts with trust. It starts with a knowing. It starts with really getting cozy and comfortable with that visceral feeling so we can then develop a trust on it. If we don't have that as a starting point, we're going to feel foggy and confused in our body, and then we're going to jump up, up, up to our heads because that's, that's our safety net, right? Is that, mm-hmm. That's what you've always done. And the beautiful thing is we've, we, we're, we've all been born with this innate ability to use this, and we've done it when we were children, you know, children are so in tune with their intuition. Just watch them. They're beautiful. We all have the ability to do this. We've just been practicing logic and overthinking for so long now. It's just a matter of getting back to where we came from. So we can use this in every area of our life. Like last night, going to the grocery store. Like that's such a ridiculous thing. But you can utilize that in, in everything. Absolutely everything. Hmm. Well, this has been awesome. Uh, oh. I have one last question for you, which I know you've heard me ask. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? <laughs> I love that question. Someone who is unapologetic about their truth. I love that. There's, there's a rawness when someone just does not care and they just speak without almost just speak without a filter. I appreciate that. I love it in a world where we're so consumed with identities and roles and looking good and, and, and trying to be perceived by others as, as, as looking a certain way. If someone just stands up, speaks their truth, just unedited, raw, vulnerable, I'm like, Oh God, I love you. And I immediately have this connection and love for that person. And if I can encourage people just to step into that, just use your voice because it's so needed in this world, that truth, that honesty, who you actually are, bring that to the table. That radical honesty is such a beautiful thing to me. I love it. Well, I think that makes a a perfect way to wrap up our conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Oh, man, it's been so fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Next time on The Unmistakable Creative. I proposed the idea that we would start a technology incubator inside San Quentin as a, an initial location where we teach coding. And we would also set up a joint venture where the guys inside who still had time to serve could actually do outsource coding for private companies. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a pretty big ask. And unless I had you know, some sort of credibility and, and results in the past, they probably wouldn't have gone for it. But um, Right now, just to give you a sense of where we are, um, we, we're on our uh, going to our third year of coding in San Quentin. We've expanded to other facilities. We should be in six by the end of the year, including at least one women's facility. We're teaching HTML, CSS, JavaScript, uh, some Python, uh, Adobe Suite, Design, and also uh, WordPress. So these guys will come out with some solid proficiencies in those skills. It's a year-long program, two cohorts uh, that they have to get through, but they will come out as employable, you know, I would say junior software engineers. Venture capitalist Chris Redless joins us to talk about building a technology incubator in San Quentin Prison and teaching prisoners how to write code. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.